All right, I sent out the invite. Scott, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, shit. My audio is all done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a bit of background noise. I'll have some background noise. Yeah, we know you're biohacking. <laughs> Everybody knows by now. No, no I'll, I'll see. I'll be done in literally one minute. Mario's actually um, but, his feet in an ice cold chamber with wires attached to his chest. How are you, man? You slept two hours. Yeah, I, I'm biohacking. You're barely getting it. Yeah, jet lag, you know, is for, for everybody else is really bad going east. For some reason, every time I go west, I get crushed for the first two days. I don't know. I had no jet lag going east, but, but really bad coming back. Man, you should, you should be pretty pumped. We saw the CPI data come out, and uh, I think the time to hate on the Fed is behind us. That, Do you agree? Oh, or you I, I, I hardly disagree with that because they're going to continue to raise. Uh, the time to hate on the Fed is always now. But... All right, let me let me give a quick update for the audience. I know waiting for Rand to join. We've got a few more speakers coming in. Mr. Powell, good to have you. We've got Peter, Eleanor. Eleanor, I want to talk about the ruling that you broke yesterday about cream finance. I started digging into it. That's actually really interesting. I know it just broke and we mentioned it in yesterday's space, but I want to dig deeper into that as well. But for the big news of the day, Scott, do you want me to kick it off with the news? Yeah, yeah go ahead, for sure. Well, you get yeah. more time. All right, man, so the big news is CPI. So inflation falls to 3%, which is below expectations. Core CPI falls to 4.8%. As the first time since, I think, December 2021 that we hit below 5%. And, um, you know, for me, like, if you want to hate on the Fed, you can. June 2022, inflation was at 9.1%. And then every single month, it went down all the way to 3%. And we were talking about structural inflation. Well, we're one percentage point away from the 2% target that the Fed has given us. So why do you think the Fed will continue to raise interest rates? I think we should probably discuss this with the guests, to be honest. But I, I mean, I think that they've been very clear in their language and they've not misled people when uh, they've given clear guidance this entire time. They say, don't fight the Fed. The Fed continues to say, we're probably going to raise, we're probably going to raise. Yeah, but the guidance, but the guidance, but the, the guidance changes based on the, uh, on the data. The data is leading like lagging data. So that, that's the problem is that uh, you're giving them credit for, you know, things they've done in the past few months when this data would probably be the same if they had stopped six or nine months ago. Raul, I want to go to you because uh, you know, Scott has always been the pessimist and, uh, and we'll, I know we'll end up fighting. So for me, the Fed looks like they've done the right thing. Inflation is at 3%, which many people remember the debates on whether that's even possible. We're at 3% now. 12 months is the battle. There's more and more. So I think it's like 20. How long has they been battling inflation? How many months has it been? Well, since the battle begun, we're sitting at 3%, one percentage away. And then we've got equities pumping. Crypto's lagging. We'll talk about this in a bit. But we'd love to get your initial thoughts on this, Raul. Yeah, look, I have been um, of the view using all of the kind of um, forward-looking indicators that uh, I've built over the years for Global Macro Investor, that inflation is just going to be, you know, elevator up, elevator down. So it's kind of a mirror image of its rise. It just falls. And I think it eventually settles back down to a low range. I don't buy and have not bought for a long time that the inflation is going to be higher over time forecast. Now, what's interesting is, firstly, if you look at the trueflation data, which gives you where you are currently, the on-chain data, that's about 2.5%. It got down to a low as about 23 2.2% uh, last week. So that's suggesting that inflation continues to fall. My forward-looking indicators suggest that there is a reasonable chance headline CPI goes negative um, in the next few months, um, which I don't think people are prepared for. Then people will go, yeah, but what about core CPI? It's sticky. Well, no shit, Sherlock. It lags. So uh, rents and wages always lag the cycle. So as they start falling and they're all starting to fall now, then that will continue to come down over a period of time and keep inflation uh, relatively sanguine. So, look, I've been of the opinion for a while that the Fed have gone too far um, and way too far. And I think that there is no real reason to raise again. Scott might be right. They might try and get in one more raise. The game now is what rate level of rates can we get to because we know in the down cycle we have to cut them. And if they don't want to cut them to zero... And usually in a recession, you've got at least 300 basis points of rate uh, cuts to come. That's pretty standard uh, um, over the last you know, 50 years or so. Well, if they cut it from here, 300 basis points, you get to 2%, which would be, I think, more preferable to them um, than zero. But who knows? I still think rates go pretty much back to zero. Again. Okay. What, what are you... Go ahead, Ryan. 
I'm saying I'm not saying I agree with Raul. I think that the that the negative that the negative inflation is something that most people aren't factoring in yet. Uh, I just uh, the one thing about the the Fed's the Fed's interest rate increase. I was very much against the Fed interest rate increase. I said I said there wouldn't be one more. I'm now of the camp that there definitely is going to be one more, and maybe even two more. And the reason why I say that is because I see that Fed interest rate increases is bullets in a in a in a, in the gun in the magazine of a gun. The more they can load without doing a lot of damage, the better. And now that the economy is, I mean, the economy right now is still pretty strong. The jobs are pretty strong. It doesn't really hurt the Fed a lot to keep raising and have those things because it's much easier than for them to reduce after it. So I think they'll, they will keep raising. I've actually swung from saying there will be no more rate increase to saying there'll definitely be one. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. So, Ryan, Ryan, I'm just confused. You were saying that there will be you know, one or none earlier. Now that you're saying there's going to definitely be two. I don't get it. So when CPI drops more than expected, do you think they're going to raise interest rates? I think that I think they're going to increase interest rates now in in July. I think it's it's in it. That's all the probabilities are ninety two percent. So and I don't see any reason for them to stop increasing. I think in order for them, what do you mean? But the, 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 the how isn't there a reason? You're just talking about because they well, talking about negative two percent because they say they want to go to two percent and they're still pretty far off of that. According to trueflation, the inflation is at about two point five percent. They don't look at trueflation now. But no, I know. But, sure. but, but the one thing they do look at is inflation break-even rates. One-year inflation break-even is pricing inflation in one year's time at one point four percent. Five-year break-even inflation is pricing it at two point two percent. So the market expectation of inflation has been entirely and totally crushed, and they're both trending lower. So they know that. I mean, the Fed are not stupid. They also know that they're lagging the cycle. Um, so the the question really that matters, everything else is noise, is even if they do, let's say Scott is right, Rand's right, they raise another 25 and another 25. What happens? Well, the market knows it's the end of the cycle. The moment the market knows it's the end of the cycle, the market sniffed this out a while ago, the market start rallying like crazy because they know that the next phase is easing. That's the key thing to remember. Don't trade today. We've talked about this on the show before. Never trade today. Trade the future. But how much? How much? Is the, but how, how much has already been factored into the markets? Well, well. So so don't forget, two-year rates hit you know five odd percent recently, but they've been backing off because the the markets are starting to price that sure wherever they get to, they're going to reverse. So all of it, the entire bond market is now trading at a discount to the Fed funds rate. That's telling you is the market's like, whatever you do, we don't care because you are going to cut and you're going to have to cut. And that's what drives asset prices. It's not how where the Fed funds rate is. It's the future expectations of where it will go. So if you ask anybody in a macro perspective, what you need to do is live between six and 18 months in the future. So in six or 18 months in the future, where is inflation? Lower. Where are interest rates? Lower. That's what so, uh, so one more question to you, Raul, and, and then we'll open up to the panel is uh, looking at equities. Uh, the S&P is up 1%, NASDAQ's up 1.4%. Um, but then you look at Bitcoin, let me check what it's at now, but it's uh, it barely went up. And then it started obviously reversing because of the news with the uh, Silk Road Bitcoin that, was, that moved earlier today. But Bitcoin's at 0.3%. And it's been lagging for a while now. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, look, it's been consolidating. Bitcoin um, led the entire pack. Uh, crypto's been strong. So across the board, it's outperformed equities significantly. But if I look at the chart, most of this stuff, it's been sideways for a while now. So normally after a consolidation pattern, you've got the positive news, you've got the momentum of the equity markets. Um, you know, we're then moving into obviously the ETF. So everything is there to say, well, the next leg is to come. The next leg, usually these things are very violent uh, and you don't you don't get much of a chance to get in. So it feels that that setup is setting up yet again. So massive run, consolidation, massive run, consolidation. Uh, that was very prevalent in the 2016 to 18 cycle, uh, which feels very similar to this one in terms of the structure of the markets. So it's just patience because the next thing you'll know is you'll have another God candle and everyone's going to go, oh my God. Yeah, Raul, I want to ask you a question. I spoke about something on my show today and I'm really keen to get your your point of view. Um, I noticed that, or the team actually noticed that if you look at any crypto-related stock, all the crypto-related stocks are up. So MicroStrategy, uh, Coinbase, up 200% this year. MicroStrategy up 187% this year. Riot, which is a mining company, up, I don't know, 500% this year. 
Um, and, and so the list goes on. And if you look at the, the mining stocks, uh, any crypto related stocks, we, we, we categorize it into mining and financial services. Essentially, they're up a hell of a lot this year, much, 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 much more than the market. Now, what I deduce from that is that institutions and, and bigger investors want to get in, want to get uh, into crypto and are looking for returns that are, um, almost like we look for altcoin returns, which are which are um, geared against the Bitcoin returns. Do you think that there might be something in that? that they're kind of saying, look, we, we, we know this Bitcoin thing. It's quite hard for us to buy this Bitcoin thing because we're not really, you can't really buy GBTC because we're playing the discount to net asset value as well as the price of Bitcoin at the same time, which is quite a tricky thing to navigate for a fund manager. But we can get exposure using MicroStrategy, Coinbase, uh, Riot, and all the, all the other uh, mining companies. Do you think that that's their play to give their clients exposure to crypto? Is that like almost like their old season, so to speak? Yeah, I did this on Real Vision on Monday as part of this crypto gathering, uh, which is free if anybody wants to check it out, realvision.com forward slash gathering. I did the whole piece there and talked about the risk curve. Now, what's fascinating, Ran, is what you're talking about, um, how some of these stocks are all starting to perform. What's amazing is you can put the chart of Coinbase against the chart of ARK against the chart of KR1 in the UK, which is a crypto company, all of them are identical. Um, and as is Solana. So all of these are just expressions of risk. And the market is starting to seek further risk. Inflation is falling. So as inflation falls, people go out the risk curve. So people are going out the risk curve. These are actually, none of these have esoteric risk priced in. The chart of Coinbase is identical to the chart of ARK which is identical to the chart of Solana, so that it's all basically a risk curve. So as people start making money in the space again, and particularly the equity market, it starts flowing further out the risk curve as people seek returns. So yes, you're right, uh, institutions and others, probably more retail, start going further out the risk curve and looking at some of these kind of stocks to think, okay, well, crypto's next, how can I get exposure? And that's, you know, back down to the same issue is, there's no ETF, there's no simple exposure, so you have to buy the equities. But you know, I'm very bullish on all of those because they're basically driven by liquidity and risk-seeking. And on a forward-looking basis over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, the market should be extremely risk-seeking. So there's a lot of returns to come from those kind of stocks. I mean, you look at Coinbase, they have an SEC action against them only weeks ago and are 3x off the lows. Talk about a stock that was trading at $30 at the beginning of the year that's now effectively yeah. nine. And Coinbase is fascinating because really it's the purest expression. Somebody called it like an ETF on the entire crypto market. Basically, if volumes go up, Coinbase goes up. If the B if the ETF gets launched, Coinbase goes up. If the markets become risk-seeking, Coinbase goes up. If crypto goes up, Coinbase goes up. So once you priced in a 95% decline, which we did last year, it actually maps very well with Amazon after 2001, 2002, and the NASDAQ over that same period. So you've had the crash, and now you've got the recovery point, and usually it just goes up relentlessly. Now, the crypto market, because we will see more activity coming over time as liquidity comes back, Coinbase just collects fees every time that happens. So it's, it's in a prime position to do this, even with the kind of overhang of regulatory stuff that's going on. I think, the, market, I think the market's are also telling you that legal experts believe that Coinbase has a fighting chance uh, of actually either beating the SEC or settling with the SEC. And I want to do that. Again, again uh, Rand, let's, I'd like to believe that, but that's a narrative. Because if if so, it wouldn't look like the same chart as Art, um, Arc, which is in a different sector, or Solana, or everything else, right? They're all almost identical. So it's not like the market's pricing in any esoteric risk to Coinbase whatsoever. They're just pricing it in as they are everything else in the same kind of risk bucket. I mean, I think I think Coinbase is, is getting some additional benefit. I mean, Coinbase is up 90%, you know, over the last month. Solana's up about 30 or so or 40% over the last month. So there is some additional return, which is, you know, this belief or or, or this this view that, you know, the ETF, uh, you know, ETF um issuers choosing to use Coinbase is a benefit. And I think also thing to consider as well as, as you look at Coinbase is that they're just going to see a growing market share, right? I mean, FTX is no longer in business. Binance has a lot of issues, right? People are concerned about using, you know, offshore exchanges. As you think about 
you know, regulated U.S. institutions uh, or, or U.S. institutions broadly, rather, looking at coming into crypto and they look at, OK, well, I need to choose my service providers, right? I'm managing external capital. Where can I feel comfortable? Right now, you know, I speak to dozens of these guys on a weekly basis. The only answer that I hear consistently is Coinbase. So I think, you know, Coinbase is is obviously going to perform like the rest of the crypto market. But I do think it has some such, some upside that potentially and, other assets don't have just in the positioning that it has as well. And I think, and, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Also, my good friend Peter Brandt is on the call. Peter was pointing out the chart the other day. The chart looks spectacular. Um, you know, there's a nice setup here in many of these things. And they're all starting to break out after this long period of consolidation. And, you know, I think that's very interesting. Peter, maybe give us some insight on the Coinbase chart. I was looking at Coinbase today and I'm thinking to myself, I've got a great entry. I've got an entry under $40 or 30, $38 or something like that. And I, I'm, I, I kind of want to hold it for the long term because that's what I've been doing. But now I'm looking at how far it's gone up, how fast it's gone up. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, I don't know, my experience is as much of an investor as I am when something goes up this fast, this high, uh, usually it's a good time to maybe take some profits. Well, yeah, let me just, you know, comment on a couple of charts because there are just some incredibly interesting things taking place. Now, the the rest of your guests are wonderful It's explaining kind of the, the whys of what might be going on. A great comments from Errol always, you, where I'm just kind of focused on the what now. And, you know, I put out a tweet earlier in the week about Coinbase completing a pretty significant head and shoulders bottom. And I think that's what it's in the process of doing. I, I mean, we really need to, I can get a, get a close by, by coin up over 95 or so to really confirm it. But it's a, it's a powerful chart. It indicates to me that we've got a major bottom going into place. On, on treasuries, really interesting. You know, the, the, the treasuries, Yields could not take out the November high, the March high. And so we took a run at it and failed. Now we got the news today. We got a reversal uh, back down toward lower rates, which I think is significant because Raul pointed out lower rates in the future. You look at sulfur futures and you know, September sulfur futures around 5.5% yield. You go out to June 25 on the sulfur and we're 3.5% yield. So, you know, we're already building in lower rates in the futures market, looking at, you know, the three-month, six-month rate. So I think, you know, that's pretty much online with Raul's comments. But if you look at the stocks, we've got major breakouts taking place in, 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 in the Dow, potentially, in the S&Ps, in the NASDAQ, the Russell, it's extremely strong, which indicates great growth. But let me just point out what I think is the all-star chart. Uh, I put out a Twitter chart yesterday or the day before saying this is the chart that nobody's looking at and it is the chart that everyone's going to be talking about. That's the Swiss franc. Swiss franc is making a high today that it has not seen in 12 years. And so we've got a 12-year high going on in Swiss franc. U.S. dollar index is going to head down. Peter, look, it seems that you, Raul, especially ran, all indicators are pointing to a reversal. Is there anybody on stage that is more bearish than all of us? Because all indicators are looking... I don't want to say anything. Through. I don't want to say anything, but I, I can't see Gareth in the crowd. I mean, I don't want to say anything, and I don't want to I don't wanna label people as bears, but I do see my friend Gareth in the crowd. I was, I was trying to be less direct than you, but Gareth, since the figures <laughs> is right in, right, pointed right at you... Um, based on the, and, and of course you can change your mind from previous spaces, but based on the inflation rate we saw now and, and uh, the market response, do you think a reversal, at least for crypto, is uh, incoming? Yeah, so I mean, in regards to crypto, it's it's really interesting because on this CPI data, you have the NASDAQ ripping, the S&P ripping, and what's Bitcoin doing? Up 0.6%, you know, lackluster. But to, but to give, to give them yeah, it to 20% in a week, three, four weeks ago. Yeah, and, and no, also, I was gonna just to point out, but but also just want to point out that the the Silk Road, uh, I think there was nine k worth of Bitcoin that was moved well, to a wallet, the and generally matter. the markets respond. And the, 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 but, the reason doesn't matter. The up goes down. You know what you're trying to do is you're trying to mix fundamentals with, with charting, and you know to Gareth, Gareth. No, but I think I think no. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Gareth. Well, no. All I'm saying, and you're right. Like so, so it had that big run up. 
of 20%, right, when we got that news about BlackRock and the spot ETF. But let's keep in mind that we are at the same level we were at back in April, right? So in early April, it hit 31,000, and here we are at 30,800. So, so as a price action, like for me, I'm still struggling with, okay, all these risk assets are going nuts. I mean, NVIDIA's at all-time highs, and Microsoft's moving up there, and Apple's up there what the heck is wrong with Bitcoin, right? I mean, it's like, it's like, what's that deal? And so for me, it's still watching that 31,000 level. In fact, I think a week ago, we were talking about this same thing. It's like 30 to 31,000 is the range. It's been consolidating now for three to four weeks. It has to break out. Now, if it breaks out, I think it goes within days to 35,000. I think it'll be a, a supercharged breakout. But again, that's the level. And, and until it breaks that point, then it doesn't matter what's going on everywhere else. It's just, that's the level. I think I think it's really important to note that Bitcoin being uncorrelated is really good for crypto. Like I'm just the exact same thing. <laughs> it's just not correlated, and that's great. Yeah, go ahead. It's great. I mean, look, Bitcoin's correlation with gold is non-existent. Correlates with SMC over the last. There's a lot of this. Like, Nasdaq is non-existent, and that's a, that's a huge deal, right? I mean, it, institutions are not going to be excited about Bitcoin if it's correlated to the Nasdaq. Right, they can just buy the NAS. But so, so, but Josh, moving away from correlation, it's just based on the news. It, it, you know, the, the response to most CPI data should be any risk assets, and, and crypto is obviously a risk asset, should be responding positively. So if we're not seeing that, um, isn't that you know, it, well, is, could that be as, as a warning sign that maybe the market is not as as bullish as we'd like it to be? So, so, and just to jump in on that too is like, all right, so let's say it's not a risk asset. Let's say it's more like gold. Well, gold's ripping today too because the dollar's getting crushed and Bitcoin's up 0.6%, right? So, so again, it's like, okay, well, is it a risk asset? Is it not a risk asset? Well, either way, right, at least price action today is not robust. Now, could it all of a sudden get a supercharged rally later? Maybe, maybe, right? But again, right now, I'm not impressed with the price action. The market is usually wrong when it reacts to these events though. So judging it in the morning, I think, is hard when we want to see what happens throughout the rest of the day. But I, I do agree with you that if everything else is up, I, I just really think that it's uh, great that Bitcoin has been so uncorrelated for such a long time now. And if you look at SPX, I mean, what was the low on SPX of the entire market here around, what was it, 3,500, 3,490 or something? It's at 44. Bitcoin is double off its lows. Yeah, but so Bitcoin is much higher risk. Bitcoin I mean, Bitcoin on a risk-adjusted basis may be slightly different, Scott. You're looking at it as a, as a net percentage. Looking at a risk-adjusted basis, I think Gareth's got a very other point to say. Like, if you consider where we are with the S&P, S&Ps, I mean, the Nasdaq's almost back at all-time highs, you know what I mean? And if you look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin is still 50% down from its all-time high. So I think Gareth, Gareth does have a point here that, that Bitcoin, as much as it has performed well this year, maybe hasn't got as much... So, so Gareth... All we have to look for is that 31K mark. Is that the, the most important indicator for you? Yeah, yeah. First of all, I'm going to go play the lottery because I, I don't remember the last time Rand was in my corner there. This is great. Um, <laughs> number two, uh, yes, 31,000. We get above there and we can actually hold it because we've had pierces of 31,000, right? But you really haven't been able to hold it. If you can do that, I think number one, shorts start to cover. Number two, you'll get new buyers that are seeing that breakout, seeing that you know range breakout, and they'll pile on. And then I think, honestly, you shoot up. The longer you consolidate sideways, it's like winding a spring, right? So the spring now is is so tight that whichever direction it breaks, people need to be ready for a big move. So that goes on the downside too. On the off chance it does break below 30 and start trading down, it could go to 26 and change very quickly as well. Just a heads up for everyone, Twitter is down at the moment. Um, which yeah, is, it's not right. Yeah, yeah, I, just, I, I thought you guys were just messing around in the... No, I was serious. I went to try to find Peter's tweet to uh, pin it so that we could look at the charts. And uh, when I go on anyone's profile, I can't see it. But spaces is spaces. So sometimes when, when Twitter breaks, so people can't tweet, spaces tend to do really well because people can't use twitter itself so they just go into spaces happened last time um so we'll see unless spaces start to to uh to crash as well um caleb um would love to get your take before we move on from the cpi discussion thanks mario good to be here um look i just wanted to kind of chime in on the conversation that we're having right now because i think it's just really important to you know recognize and appreciate you know bitcoin's up like 80 or 85 percent year to date amidst this disinflationary environment, right? So we have seen Bitcoin as a risk asset significantly outpace other risk assets in this disinflationary environment. If you just look broadly at, you know, kind of the index level in the equities markets. And so, you know, I just kind of wanted to put that context there. And in fact, you know, I did a post yesterday saying, um, or I think it was earlier this morning, sorry, but 
uh, you know, MicroStrategy hitting new all-time uh, year-to-date highs yesterday. Same with Coinbase, same with Riot, same with a couple other uh, miners. And, you know, miners have been hitting... Let me, let me mention, Kayla, let me give you some numbers and I'll let you continue. I was going to interrupt Ryan and give the numbers, but I didn't have them open. Um, so BitDigital's up 648% year-to-date. Marathon, 430%. Riot, 430%. Hard 8, for almost 400. Hive, so the list goes on. Obviously, Coinbase is up 192%. And MicroStrategy is up 184%. So, so it's it just like everything is pointing in the direction. And, and remember, that's institutional buyers mainly. Um, and that's why the, the narrative of maybe institutions know that an ETF is is uh, going to get approved and, and they're prepping. That's their way to get exposure to the market, as uh, as Rand called it. the What do you call it? The institutional altcoins. Uh, but yeah, Caleb, Caleb, I just want to kind of highlight those numbers. They're pretty, but I saw them when the team sent them to me. Um, I, I, I was pretty shocked. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I've been trading the miners to the upside pretty much all year since Bitcoin broke above the short-term holder realized price in mid-January. Um, I'm currently long Riot and DGHI right now, both positions significantly in profit. Um, and I'm not planning on selling them, at least, you know, until we see evidence of them starting to roll over. Um, I, I think the point that I want to make here, right, is like particularly for these, you know, Bitcoin mining stocks, these are essentially a derivative of Bitcoin itself, right? And when we think about equities and you know asset prices in general being a forward-looking pricing mechanism, the fact that these derivatives of Bitcoin are trading at year-to-date highs, if anything, just gives me more confidence that Bitcoin still has room to move further um, in this market, right? Look at the dollar uh, continuing to trend lower. Uh, look at the two-year getting rejected on you know those cycle highs, if you will. Um, I think from that perspective, right, this is giving me kind of more fuel to the fire that Bitcoin can still keep moving higher in this market. Um, and I mean, look, these miners have, you know, ripped higher over the course of the past two or three weeks, while Bitcoin has been fretting water between 30 and 31,000. So, you know, for me, that's also very interesting. And, you know, all of the technical and on-chain data points for Bitcoin are just looking extremely impressive. I mean, this rally that's gotten us here to basically 30, 31,000, occurred when? Right when Bitcoin retested the 200-week moving average and the 200-day moving average and the short-term holder realized price. There's so much confluence for all my chart junkies out there that Bitcoin is likely to keep tre- uh, trending higher. So I, I, I think you just have to be leaning bullish here. Uh, Raul, I've got a question for you. Um, what would change your mind? I want to ask you and Joshua, what could happen that changes that entire sentiment and, and turns you from being bullish to being bearish? Listen, I'm generally based around my structural work on the business cycle um, and forward-looking indicators for economies and liquidity. So I don't have anything in the next two years that gives me any major cause for concern. And those kind of indicators, the business cycle indicators, have worked extremely well over the last, you know, I've been analyzing this data for 30 years myself, and then prior to that, it works really well. So I know it sounds ridiculous, but it would have to be a black swan to make me change my mind that something has happened. Because again, most of the data, whether it's the CPI, whether it's the economy, um, is all already in the forward-looking data. So I don't see anything that, that changes that. Can we get more noise? For sure. But again, my time horizon is longer than many people. I don't trade. Can, so I'm looking is what is you, the opportunity? Before- before going to Joshua, um, something you've been talking a lot about is the Everything Code thesis. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the Everything Code thesis is the understanding that the Great Reset happened in 2008. I know everybody's waiting for the Great Reset. It happened in 2008 and it became a debt jubilee. Essentially, everybody cut all interest rates to zero and that meant that nobody had to pay the interest on their debts. Okay, so that was a big event for the world. Everybody, every major country in the world and most large companies all reset their debts at the same time. Those debts, um, they reset at three to five years. And the economy ever since then, completely in line with the Bitcoin halving cycle, has been entirely cyclical. So rates go up a bit when the economy gets better. And then once you come um, later on in the cycle and those debts need to be refied, what you find is that the economy slows down because of the interest payments. And then eventually they get monetized by the central bank. So the central bank is monetizing the interest payments from the prior cycle. So we're about to monetize in 2024 
all of the interest payments from the massive rise in debt from the pandemic. Okay, so that, and what I can do is prove that out a number of ways in the Everything Code to show that forward-looking indicators that I use can predict the liquidity cycles and the economic cycle. And because asset prices are so correlated, like 97% correlated to these cycles that we've built some models on, that we think, and this is a hypothesis, that we can forecast asset prices out two and a half years from today, which sounds ludicrous and crazy, which is why it's called the Everything Code. It's a bit tongue in cheek because it's like, really? If this is what is happening, then we've got a forward look on markets um, from crypto to NASDAQ to S&P going out to 2026, which is which is something quite extraordinary. So it needs to be tested as a hypothesis. It's obviously back test. It works well. But we need to see, do the central banks start printing money to pay for the interest from the previous cycle? Now, we know that the central banks now with interest rates at 5%, those interest payments are gigantic. And if they have to pay the interest, well, then it robs the economy of that too, because the, the US government, for example, is 100% of GDP in debt. And if they were to pay 5% interest, then you've got negative 5% economic growth just because of what the... Uh, what the central bank has done, because trend rate of GDP is low, 1.5%, 1.75%. So there's a big, big, big picture game. Um, and once you kind of see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, we're going to continue, Josh, I guess, with the same questions for Al, which I believe was what would make you bearish at this point. Yeah, I want to I want to go back really quickly to miners. I think miners are structurally a little bit different. And we spoke about this this morning on your show, Scott, right? Like, Miners were losing money below 25 grand, right? And they were basically going to zero and they had borrowed a tremendous amount of money. They were super levered up. And so mining stocks got totally destroyed, right? But then when Bitcoin kind of turned, the market started recovering. And then on top of that, you started to see, you know, all of the activity happening on the Bitcoin blockchain with ordinals and with BRC20s, right? Miners were actually just generating a ton more revenue than they were and they, they were generating before. And they were actually, you know, in profit. So I think structurally, it's a little bit different than Bitcoin. Obviously, it's going to be incredibly correlated to Bitcoin, but I think there's obviously a lot of, of downside risk there. But what would kind of change how I view Bitcoin? I mean, I think the thing that we have to remember, you know, you know, one of the things that Raul mentioned was like, absent a black swan event. I mean, you know, on the other side of the equation, right, like the market was getting absolutely nuked before we had the, the, the BlackRock ETF filing news too, right, which kind of was, was that event on the upside. So I think it's I think there's really two things to look out for or three things, right? One is the ongoing stupidity of crypto, right? Which is, you know, the FTX collapse, the, uh, you know, BlockFi, terrible loans, 3AC, all of the stuff that we just see all of the time in crypto. There's always some stupidity that happens in the market. Hopefully that stupidity is not material. That's the first thing. The second thing that I'm really looking out for, and while it's not specifically Bitcoin related because Bitcoin is a commodity. If we see any sort of decision in the Ripple case, I know we've been saying this for years and years and years, and it's been dragging on, but that's a huge deal, right? Because if, if 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 either there's some sort of settlement that happens with the SEC or Ripple happens to win the case and is not a security, that's a huge deal for 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 crypto and Bitcoin rips the upside. And the obvious thing is is the ETF decision, right? And whether that decision is delayed or not, because I think you know, if nothing happens and the decision is delayed, maybe we get a little tiny sell off, but then we kind of are just, I mean, right now, Bitcoin realized volatility is basically at its lowest level in, in years, right? So I don't know, we, we could continue to be channel bound if none of those things really happen. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like everyone sort of agrees we could see downside based on news or some sort of fundamental event, but it would be very, very surprising to see the lows taken out. Right. So even if uh, we see a drop, I don't think there's anyone here. Maybe correct me. Maybe, Gareth, you disagree. I don't know that that we could actually see new lows on Bitcoin, meaning really trading below like 16,000. Gareth, what do you think? Before, while waiting for Gareth, the question I wanted to ask, and I'm glad Dave is here as well. Um, and, and Raul, you gave us a bit of an update last time. Uh, I asked you uh, what you think about alts and NFTs. Uh, with the new CPI data and, and risk assets doing well uh, outside of crypto, um, does that mean that we could start seeing finally some movement in the alts and uh, other crypto assets like NFTs? So my, my view on this is, again, it's all part of the risk curve. Um, NFTs are assets in the ETH economy. 
or the Solana economy, depending which NFTs you're using. And that economy has been in recession. It's in recovery out of recession. Most people aren't sitting on gains. They're sitting still on losses. They're underwater. So once you start to see gains or prices moving, then people move out the risk curve. And eventually, when people are making real money, they'll start buying NFTs. So I think alts move first. NFTs are probably bottoming with this whole blur shenanigans. And then um, so alts move next, which I think is kind of August, September. Uh, we start igniting that space. Uh, and then NFTs come after that as people recycle profits into NFTs. People start buying punks again, that kind of stuff. And then it starts to become more speculative and people go down the risk curve in the NFT market as well. So it's setting up and it's very much like traditional financial markets. There's a lag for this stuff. It's JPEG, really bullish space. This is JPEG, bullish space. JPEG's going to zero, sir. JPEG's going to zero. Yeah. Uh, uh, look, uh, Dave, it seems to be a pretty bullish space. Um, do you do you want to ride the train with us? Are you on you know in the same wavelength after seeing the CPI data and everything we've seen over the last few days and weeks? Um, are you bullish, my friend? Well, yeah. I mean, the funniest thing that I think that's going on that people aren't talking about is, remember the last rally when Paul Tudor Jones made his famous fastest horse comment that everyone piled on? And the reason is because the thought, you know, the speculators kind of got all, all worked up, lots of FOMO, et cetera. I would say that Larry Fink's interview on Fox News was 10x or more important than Paul Tudor Jones. Uh, who, by the way, Paul Trudeau has reiterated his his stance on Bitcoin as well. But the difference is, is the type of people who are likely to try to buy and are buying are, pa are, are much more patient and not prone to FOMO. They're the kind of people who average in, who are providing a bid when the market you would think would sell off. And we've had a few of those times where people scratch their heads saying, wait a minute, why isn't it selling off? And the answer is, there's institutional buying. We all have to remember that Bitcoin trades like an option. The market is pricing basically four or five percent ish uh, probability of becoming digital gold or beyond. And if you read, uh, I, I loved, by the way, the the Arthur Hayes's last you know last missive, where he talks about Bitcoin being almost certainly the 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 currency of choice for AI, and there's more to come there. There is a lot of reason to believe that Bitcoin will have a much higher percentage than ever before in its history of reaching that threshold, which is at least twenty x. So these squiggles on the line that we're focusing on are happening for a reason. The reason the tight spring is coiling is because institutions are more patient until they're proven that they don't have that they have to be more aggressive. So as long as speculators chase up to 31, nobody buys and immediately falls back, the institutions are happy to buy on the way back down. And so you're seeing this constant grinding transition from what I would call weak speculative hands to strong hands eventually the supply, the lack of supply will win out. And so that's that's the thing that we have to watch for. Those inflection points can happen really fast. I mean, it would take almost nothing to have Bitcoin bounce into the two trading ranges that got collapsed in 2022. I mean, my thesis has been 23 is going to erase 22. And so if that's true, we'll see a, a run into the 40s at some point and then a run toward the all-time highs at a later point. And that's what I still think we're on target for that. And the narrative is certainly stronger now than is your feeling that that run to the all-time highs comes with the normal four-year cycle and the halving? I mean, that's kind of what I expect, but I, it seems that that's pretty crowded. Yeah, I mean, look, the normal four-year cycle isn't normal. I mean, <laughs> people get excited and they start pushing up toward the halving and the follow-through buying doesn't materialize because miners aren't stupid. Everyone assumes miners are morons. It's, these are some smart people. <laughs> They're planning on the supply curve. They're planning on the stuff. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is it's been out of cycle been either before it or after it, et cetera. I mean, look, Bitcoin, one of the things that are, is amazing about Bitcoin is a monetary policy that for those science fiction fans, I always compare Satoshi, whoever they, they were, because I suspect was more than one, uh, to Harry Seldon and Foundation, because they basically picked a monetary policy that's working and looks to be well-established and looks to be constraining supply in the right way and balancing that with incentives to to you know build the network. I, I do think that a lack of supply is relevant, but the far bigger answer is demand. To the extent that we start seeing traditional financial players starting to put half a percent or a percent or more in standard portfolios, there just isn't enough supply. 
apply to accommodate that at these levels, and you'll start seeing those jumps. Scott, have you? Uh, I want to talk about something. I want to see if David Silver could join because I know we um, we were main, meant to focus on the CPI data today and the market's response. But have you looked at the? Has anyone actually? Eleanor, you're here. Yeah, yeah Eleanor, I'm here. She should get yeah, back. Yeah, perfect. Up, so. Yeah, and 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 David Silver is he still in the audience? Uh, I'll try to bring him. I in. invited him. But Eleanor, perfect. Yeah, bring him in. Um, so, guys, uh, there's a ruling that Eleanor mentioned yesterday, and, and she knows it better than I. I'm just going through a tweet that Orlando BTC, which I'll try to bring in tomorrow to discuss. Uh, but, Eleanor, can you tell us more about the ruling, uh, not the ruling, sorry, the charges by U.S. Attorney's Office? Because um, anything that targets hackers, and that's why I really like the yesterday's project, what was it called? Arkham uh, Akram or something. Uh, I really like that Arkham. project. Oh, David, are you there as well, David? David, are you there? Mr. Silver? Before going to Eleanor, I just want to make sure if you're there. Uh, I'll wait for David to come on. But Eleanor, can you tell us more about the charges? Because uh, it's uh, anything that targets hackers or scammers um, kind of lights me up. And, and I'm glad that uh, regulators are taking action. But tell us more what happened yesterday and, and why this is so important. Hey, yeah, thanks so much. So I think I tweeted this yesterday, kind of on the tail end of our spaces with Arkham, which was, was pretty, the timing was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, Kind of in a nutshell, I haven't gone over all the charges. I do need to read the full indictment. But just as an overview, this guy, who was a senior software engineer at an unnamed company, hacked a decentralized exchange that ran on the Solana blockchain and was able to kind of uh, exploit the code, right? So there was weaknesses in the code, and he was able to uh, produce what's called a flash loan um, and basically kind of just fooled the code, I guess, into thinking that he was making these deposits and then he got all this money backed um, kind of like on, on those loans. But, you know, they're uncollateralized um, and it made him around, I think it was uh, around nine million. I want to say eight point eight million. Right. So he basically fooled this technology into thinking that he was a real a real person, a real person with funds. And he was able to get all this money, which is, uh, you know, I mean, nine million is not a lot at the end of the day. It's not like we're talking like nine hundred million. But we, it's a good kind of. Eleanor, uh, Eleanor it's, but there's more to it. It's more. There's more to it though. He actually returned seven and a half million out of the nine million. So right. he did a deal with the exchange, and he only kept one and a half million in order for the exchange not to not to refer this to law enforcement, and to allow him to keep some of the money. So he kept one point five million and told them about the vulnerabilities, and still it's only one and a half million, and only is obviously relative to other scams, and yet the regulators. Um, the the uh, uh, attorney's office took action nonetheless, and I'll, I'll I'll talk in a bit about how they managed to 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 find him, which is really fascinating. But uh, the the amount is even smaller than nine million, Eleanor. Yeah, yeah, and I thought that was pretty funny actually when I read that. I was like, oh, we have like an honest guy here who's who's willing to return, you know, seventy five percent of the funds, but but in return he wanted them not to turn him over to to the feds, right? Which they ended up doing. And I believe there was something similar that happened um, on another Solana exchange. I think it's called Mango Markets. Um, they were hit last year. And the attacker also asked them not to press charges, you know, if he returned some of the funds. So you've got kind of these like negotiations with criminals going on here. Um, but I thought it tied in nicely to the conversation yesterday because, you know, Zach XBT was actually, you know, he he put out there, he was able to track this on, you know, through his blockchain data tracking. However, he does it. It's pretty cool. And he actually was the first one to report it, I think, last, you know, what happened last July. So using on-chain data to, to catch these criminals is, is, you know, obviously that's been going on. People like Zach have been doing it for a while. But now you see the U.S. Attorney's Office also making uh, inroads with that. So, you know, seeing the value of blockchain technology and, and being able to catch cyber criminals using on-chain data, you know, this could be and kind of a turning point. It is. And like Orlando said the following, I'll read out one thing he said. What this indictment tells me is that the DOJ will pursue criminal charges if a person intentionally uses a protocol in a way that is not intended to be used. That means if there's if you find a loophole and, you know, we, we've talked earlier that code is law. That was kind of the narrative a few years ago. Well, that narrative is gone now. Uh, regulators are not accepting that narrative. Even if something's coded wrong, if you don't use it the way it's intended to use we saw the DOJ did take action. And Orlando says the following, that's pretty big. It's also difficult to draw a line here between benign, non-intended use of code and fraud. People use code all the time in a way that's not intended. When does it amount to fraud? Um, which is really interesting. David, I'm not sure if you've seen, have you seen that um, those charges, David? I, I have. And it reminds me of a case out in Nevada a couple of years ago 
where the where someone uh, hacked, and I forget which I forget which decentralized exchange it was, but he hacked for about thirty million dollars, and he said, "Well, I, it's not really a hack. I simply used the code as written." And that was one. How did I? How do I, How am I? How am I being told that what I did was wrong here? If the argument is code is law, I used the code for as it was written in its intended purpose, and it was an incredible. It's still actually going on. But I think that, you know, it's a really odd conversation because I'm really on the side that code is not law. I don't believe in that mantra. But here we're having this conversation where all of a sudden, if you use the code as written, you're doing something wrong. And I think legally speaking, that's going to be a problem. And what they did yesterday, and we talk about this a lot with the SEC and enforcement actions, you're looking at low-hanging fruit. They're going to try and make law on low-hanging fruit. This isn't a guy who has a lot of money to defend himself and all of a sudden all guns are blazing at him and it's low-hanging fruit that says if you go into an exchange and you do something, and Mario, I think these were your words, not the intended use of the uh, decentralized exchange or the protocol, then you've done something wrong. How is that possible for the people whose mantra is code is law? You, that, that matches that and that matches that. Sorry, Mario, I was saying, how do you determine what the uh, intended use was? I mean, in the case, I don't remember all the specifics, but you were talking about Mango Markets, and that was Abraham Eisenberg. And he effectively went on Twitter and said exactly what he had done under the premise that he believed he was, it was a loophole, but was the intended purpose, right, within the within the realm of that. So it, it becomes, as usual with the law, I think, and David, I think you're right, that you go after the low-hanging fruit, becomes a very, very slippery slope. Exactly. I mean, how can you argue that the guy does something wrong if he's simply applying the algorithmic code and using the code to his benefit? This is a this is this is almost insane to me. And this puts me on the opposite side that I'm normally on. But in this particular instance, I mean, these guys are doing what the code is. If the code's written poorly, there's no defense of the code's written poorly and he did and he utilized an intended valuable circumstance in the code to monetize. Oh, uh, there's more to it, by the way, and uh, which makes it funny. Um, so <laughs> the way they found him uh, is first they managed to find out that he bridged tokens from Solana to Ethereum. I don't know how they managed to track all this, which is uh, impressive. And, and for me, it's, it's a positive development. The DOJ is, is paying attention even to small scams and um, you know scammers are struggling to get away with it. So bridge, uh, so bridge tokens from Solana to Ethereum use the swap aggregator to get funds to other wallets, swap proceeds into Monero, and then used overseas crypto exchanges. And then the, the way they found it is uh, they, they managed, one of the ways they found it is they managed to get his Google receipts. And then the guy, the scammer, his name is Ahmed, he, he searched for the following terms. <laughs> no joke. DeFi hack, several news articles about the exploit, the DEX's website, crypto white-color criminal attorneys, we also search for embezzled, wire fraud, how to prove malicious intent, stop Fed government from seizing assets and buying citizenship. Um, so it's uh, it's it's it, they've used different means of uh, finding it. But uh, in my opinion, it's a positive development. I, I understand the slippery slope, but in most cases, you know, for for you know anyone with morals, it's not hard to find out what's intended use and what's not. Um, and I think it's pretty clear on um, on on most protocols, they tell you what the protocol's intended to be useful. So for me, that doesn't seem that big, in my opinion, not as big of a concern. But then again, you know, David, you're the expert there. Eleanor, any any final thoughts on the story? Uh, David, go ahead and then we'll go to Eleanor. All I was going to say is, I think there's a big difference between civil and criminal. And I think it's hard in a criminal context to say someone used the protocol as designed and then call them a criminal. Eleanor? Yeah, I think I agree with that. But I also think that there's different cases. Obviously, every scenario is different. What it sounded like you were saying, Dave, before with this other case is that this guy was kind of saying, well, I, I did it. I, I used the code as written. And this is where it's wrong. And this is what happens when I use the code, you know, for this purpose. And here, I feel like it was just this guy was clearly he had malicious intent, right? You saw the Google searches, white color crimes, you know, how long will I go to jail for? So you've got different levels of it but i think uh, i think here was definitely you know a malicious intent you should have used chat gpt it was too early all right guys uh ran uh, are you with us 
Right, Ryan is out. Uh, guys, I'll, I'll wrap this face. I want to give Ryan the final. Amen. Yeah, cool. Any 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 final words? Well, I just wanted to wrap the space. And, and the way I would wrap it is just say everything seems bullish. CPI data is great. Um, I don't see any reason to be bearish. I think most of the speakers agree. Let me see if there's anyone on stage that hasn't spoken yet. Not everyone has, and I think everyone's bullish as well. Um, I'll just tell the... I'll give Ryan the final uh, mic in the meantime while doing that just for the audience. If you want to come on as a sponsor today, we have a sponsor. Um, I didn't pin the tweets. Uh, I'll pin them now or just DM me or Rand. But Rand, any final words, man? I only covered really quick, Mario. Show. Really quick, Mario. Before Rand. Oh, following the ugly circle, yeah. Crypto, Go ahead. Yeah, follow the ugly circle. Crypto underscore town hall, guys. We will Don't say it. no one's gonna no one's gonna search it. So what you tell them, Scott? Now I'll it's teach the you the ugly red circle. Exactly. The panel, Mario would exactly. like to know because he's my dad and tells me exactly how to do things. Uh, that you should click on that red mic and follow that account because that is actually where we will eventually be hosting. Uh, the Twitter spaces, and you'll miss it and be really sad. What what, what worries me is that too many people are bullish. Everyone feels euphoric. Mm -hmm. uh, usually that's, that's how, that's the silliest, you know, people love to make that argument. To me, that's the silliest argument. Is that, is that what people, people need to be bullish for a market to go up. Now, of course, people are going to be bullish when the market reverses because it was been going up for a while and then they turn bearish. But I think that you need people to be bullish. Otherwise, who's going to buy if people are not bullish? I mean, the point really, Mario, is that people are talking bullish, but they're not putting their money to work. The market is obviously not. But that's a good thing. But Dave, that's a good thing. That means people are bullish. They're just waiting for something. Exactly. It's climbing a wall of worry. Everyone who says they're bullish is basically saying, well, I'm going to wait for this, or I'm going to wait for that, or I'm going to wait for that. That's the reason that coiled spring happens. But I think I think one thing, if the ETF decision is not positive, um, I, I'm, I'm less worried about the XRP case, but... Uh, then again, I'm, I'm not too familiar with it. But for me, the, the ETF decision is could reverse things. I, I just don't think people are giving it enough weight. That's what reversed the markets. The market was not doing too well before BlackRock came in. Um, and if that does not materialize, I think the market has priced in an approval. Um, but then I don't predict markets. I'm really bad at it, everyone. Like I never trade, never have. Um, but I, I genuinely think that if, um, based on every single space we did, um, the most positive things people uh, refer to is the ETF decision. Because in terms of macro, um, the market hasn't been responding too positively to macro. Like we saw today, CPI data, you know, the, the market should rip today like equities did, but it didn't. Um, unless you want to make the argument that the Silk Road Bitcoin moving kind of, um, um, kind of, uh, you know, didn't allow the market, Bitcoin to, 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 to rise much. But that's a difficult argument to make because that came out a while after CPI decision came out. Oh, CPI data came out. So, that's my two cents. I think we'll all be looking forward for that for that ETF decision. Do we know? Does anyone know? Is there an exact time of when that decision will be made? We know the date. Do we know the exact time when it will come out? I don't think so. I just think we have that August date. Okay, I would have done a live. If I knew the time, I'd do a live space, and all of us just waiting for it. That's how serious I think it is. Otherwise, guys, really appreciate it. I've pinned the tweets above. If you want to come on as a sponsor or work with with us in any other capacity, um, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Enjoy the good news, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye.